In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Sandy. Matina Agio joins us today on Money Tales from Athens, Greece. Matina is a Stoic who is fixated on the gifts that death presents. And when Matina talks about inheritance, she's not necessarily focused on the money. For her, money is just a symbol, and what people are really after are rich experiences. The Greeks call this eudaimonia, which means the condition of human flourishing. It's based on having things in order within us and outside of us. Hi, this is Cami. Matina is an inheritance consultant who inspires a deep perspective that goes beyond the legal and financial. She helps her clients transform their inheritance into meaningful legacy, long-lasting wealth, and insightful self-discovery. Matina believes that inheritance is not a one-time event. It's a fluid, dynamic, and creative force in our lives that is ongoing since we were born. Her clients include collectors, historic homeowners, and family office members around the world. Matina goes deep in this conversation, covering many topics, including the importance of identifying your intangible wealth, creating clarity around the purpose of the items you own and keep, and what it means to be the muse of death. Please stick around after the interview for our takeaways from this discussion. Now, on to our conversation with Matina Agio. Matina Agio, welcome to Money Tales. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. To get our conversation started, would you please give us an overview of your life, including two or three pivotal moments that really make you the person that you are today? I'd like to start a little bit backwards because our subject is money tales and wealth tales and all these wonderful things concerning value. I'd like to say that the beginning of my life regarding this perspective started in 2010 when my parents died about 60 days apart and I was overwhelmed with an inheritance of great value, I had a deeper understanding of the wealth that was left to me. I say this because we all have our wealth stories and our money tales. Basically, events happen, things are communicated to us, but it's how we perceive what is happening that defines those money tales. So if we see something from a different perspective, then we end up having a different story, a money story. The money story started when my parents died and I became very aware of what was actually given to me. And that is when in retrospect, I started understanding how I understood wealth through their perspective, how that affected me And what did they actually leave me? What was I given in terms of my understanding of wealth and understanding of the values? 
I'm saying this because I realized that I had what I call a wealth overwhelm. And this wealth overwhelm was not only the money that they left or the historical home that I had to then take care of and the collection that came with it, but also the intangible wealth, let's say the intangible value that was given to me. I realized that the way that they had raised me and the values that were given to me through their influence, where I understood what has been actually affecting me and what has affected my money tale. Can you tell us, Matina, about growing up and, and what conversations, if any, your parents were having with you about money specifically? My parents did not have conversations about money as a general but they lived their perspective on money. And this affected me. When I was three years old, my family had to suddenly emigrate to another country. I was born in Athens, Greece. And my father, due to his political past, was on the blacklist when the dictatorship in 1967 took over Greece. My father had to escape. He had to flee the country. He actually literally left in a couple of hours after getting a warning that he was going to be pursued. And he left with a trench coat and $1,000 in his pocket. And he left for Montreal, Canada. After some months, my mother and my sister and I followed. We left the country. We left our home. We gave everything away, sold things and whatever. And my mother followed my father. We ended up in Canada with literally nothing. We started again from scratch. That didn't seem to bother my parents very much. As a child, I didn't experience stress, anxiety concerning existence. And I think I have understood now why this was so. For example, my father came from an Arcadian village in the Peloponnese. At 14 years old, became part of the Greek resistance in the Second World War. And he then continued being politically active and then later on ended up being a yuppie working for the American Express Bank. The transition between the life in Greek resistance to being a banker, in a way, was an interesting transition in his life. And he had become very resilient. He was also a stoic by nature and by his own philosophy. So generally... No matter what happened, he always happened to it. He was always taking charge of things. And this created a certain inner security for him that he could reap from the inner strength that he had and then deal with things. So he dealt with things. And my mother, on the other hand, nothing to do with this kind of past. She had studied fine arts in Lausanne in Switzerland. She was middle upper class. She fell in love with this man. And she joined him. Thank God she spoke French because in Canada, they speak also French. So didn't really have to adapt. She knew about snow because Switzerland is full of snow. And she knew the language. You know how you throw a cat out of a window, it's going to land on its fours. So she landed on her fours next to my father. Of course, there was anxiety. And of course, there was a concern about the future. But she has another strength, which I found quite interesting, which is what I would call part of the intangible wealth. Because she was an estate, it means that she managed to make everything beautiful and more valuable. 
So even though we had, let's say, olives and bread and cheese, those olives were served like they were caviar. She had what we call lifestyle. She had the art of the table in her. She always beautified no matter what she had. She put value in things that seemed valueless. She sewed a lot and she created a beautiful living room for us. Whatever was around her, she was very resourceful with that. It's not about how much money you have, but what you do with it, how you optimize it. And I say this because I have a lot of clients who are quite affluent. I work with family office members. I work with families who own large estates and even castles in France and so on. Some of these people are very wealthy in our terms, but actually they have very poor lives. My job is to show them how to optimize that. Since I was young, what I saw is two parents who were very resourceful and they somehow made do with what they had and optimized it. The idea of money doesn't grow on trees, for example, I never heard that. It was never in my vocabulary. I believe that they were very focused. They had a vision and they had something which I find very valuable because it defines our relationship with money. They had self-value. This value didn't come from only their achievements. It came from a deep-rooted sense in their own heritage, their own tradition, and knowing who they are. It's a two-way process. It's about who we are and how we're managing that which we have. And that's what I learned. This developed a very deep sense of security for me. I'm never concerned about money. And it's not because I'm extremely affluent. It's because I'm extremely creative. As I went along in my life, just to conclude that section of my life, I became an entrepreneur. I was always encouraged to try out my ideas. My father hardly ever gave me any money. I've been working since I was 14 years old and trying to buy my little things. And at 18, I was completely independent, which is very atypical of Greeks. I launched myself into life and tried things out that I thought were interesting for me. I always followed my interests. What my parents gave me is an insight into how one manages money. When they died, I realized I had what I call an overwhelm of gratefulness because these things happened unconsciously, but there it was that I became conscious of not only the wealth that was left behind, the physical wealth, but also the immense intangible wealth that was left behind. This wealth also included values, beliefs, confidence, their philosophies, their experiences. So I felt very lucky. I have to put here in parentheses, we were a very dysfunctional family. Sometimes I used to sit at the table at lunch the plates might be flying because we were dealing with two ego giants and it was quite intense, but they managed to give me that wealth. And I'm saying this because sometimes we receive wealth in bad packages and we don't understand the wealth that was given. In 2010, when they died, I really understood what I was given. I was given an insight into life and that's what defines my money tale. That's a tremendous story. Your parents, these giants, as you said, and what they gave to you in values is really interesting. And we'd like to dive into that. At 18, you mentioned you were independent. 
What does independence mean to you? And then if you can share how it felt. It had to do with my breeding, in particular, my father. He encouraged independence. Every time I complained about something, he always said, it's not what happens to you, but what you do with what happens to you. He always encouraged me to expose myself and to try something out. So whatever I shared with him, he would just encourage me to pursue it. I felt somehow at 18, in my own small way, that my parents had brought me from A to B, and now it's my responsibility to bring myself further. And it didn't have so much to do with independence only. It had also to do with a certain respect. I wanted to open my wings for myself, but also respect towards my parents because I was living off of them. Deep inside, I think it was just my willingness to try myself out. I was given that confidence to do so because I grew up with a very confident father and an incompetent mother. She was quite a bohemian aesthetic person, but she was somehow unconfident and she always connected with my father because he was like the pillar. But in her own way, she gave me a lot, of course, but I'm trying to say it was my father who instilled that confidence in me. You're growing up in a family that loves you. There's a lot of intense emotions. You're not talking about money, but you're learning so much from your parents' modeling. You become a very confident person who is independent at a young age. When in your life do you start talking about money? Because we know from what you described about your work that you're in the business of talking about money. How did that happen for you? The Inheritance News was born when my parents died. Through this overwhelm, I realized two things. One of them is that I have been left tangible wealth, but I've also been left intangible wealth. I consider these connected. And I thought that this is very useful for other people. At that moment, I tried to process what was given to me. I spent 10 years continuing my entrepreneurship, only I immersed myself in cultural entrepreneurship. I took what my parents gave me and I made it into a business. I did this by taking their lifestyle, the legacy, what they created, and I created experiences for people and advised cultural entrepreneurship. I went into that direction through the inheritance and the home was open. It became a house museum and managed the collection. I organize experiences, and I also realize that this experience of managing the collection would be helpful for others. Again, I made money through that. Some time ago, I decided to help people with their wealth. And the wealth that I'm focused on is the cultural wealth that they receive in form of assets, estates, furniture, movable things, because that's where my area of expertise is. It's in heritage management. That is why I work with a lot of people who have historic estates or have inherited cultural assets, art, and so on. But what we're actually working with is the story that's behind it. We're working a lot with their family stories and we're re-narrating it so that we can make it clean and streamline it so that it becomes even more valuable and open those bad packages, throw away the wrapper, and keep the diamond inside. Because my parents were not perfect parents. They did imperfect parenting, but the gem behind the imperfect parenting is there. There's value there. 
we have to be able to discern and see what part we got to stop judging our parents we got to stop refusing things sorting out the good from the bad and create our own story that's why money tale has to do with we've had a lot of influences but we have to really come to a point where we decide what that story is going to be that's how i'm helping my clients revalue what they have and discover the gold that's really there we're talking about money but money is just a symbol of value what we really want is the value we want to create more value we want to preserve value and we want to experience value you and your husband how are you going about having money conversations and as you build out the values in your home how do you approach that with your husband he's in shipping he's self-made he was also influenced by the various crises that went on in the world we have three children what i have focused on in our situation is to show our children where the value really is because there's a lot of ups and downs happening in the economies what i'm trying to teach them and they're still young one of them is 11 the other one's 15 the other one's 18 we have wealth and this wealth is not tangible we are lucky and i always say to my kids if you can turn on the tap in the house and clean water comes out we are a wealthy family because half of the planet doesn't have that and it's something so simple when anyone complains in this house this is what i say one of the things that i did when they were young is i taught them how to save money I also taught them that from whatever they receive they also have to give some part of it away. What I taught them is that we have some savings and we have what we call spendable money and we also have to give some of that away like to a beggar on the street we have to give it away to something. So that's how you separate what you receive. as they're growing up i opened bank accounts where they were responsible for them i was just overseeing them and my 11 year old has managed to save she's the best saver actually and i just trying to show them the different ways you treat money this is what we've done on now and it's interesting to see how different they are with money for example one isn't at all a saver she's a total spender different things come out but at the end of the day what i want them to do is curate themselves concerning that and i want them to have control of their savings and what they're doing with their money i want them to be aware that's what i've done i think this will be helpful to them i also taught them that we should give some of that away which they don't want to do necessarily i wouldn't think that altruism is in a 9 year old's brain but we do it anyway by force It's great that you're teaching your kids all these important ways to use money. I'm curious if you guys are talking about what you're observing with each of their different behaviors and perspectives around money, one being a saver, one being a spender. And I'm also curious to know how you're bringing the cultural wealth conversation into these very practical important lessons that you're teaching your children. We can say a lot to our children but what they will understand most is what we do. We have conversations about our work and we share with our children the development of our work. 
What I think is very important has to do with our life purpose. Because if you don't know who you are and what you want out of your life, your relationship with money will be problematic, no matter how much you have. If you are a person who has very little money, but you know who you are and what you want, you can use that money in a hundred different ways to serve what you want. What I see often, especially in the younger generations, that parents are not teaching life vision to their kids. They're not developing that in them. And therefore, the money is just spent around with no particular purpose. Of course, in a consumer society, this makes us into consumers. That's what makes us into consumers instead of creators. I have never denied myself anything I wanted in life. And money was never an issue to stop me from getting what I wanted. But on the other hand, I didn't also want too much because I was fulfilled inside of me. Such important insights, Matina. I'm so glad you're bringing voice to them. It's a really helpful observation for our listeners to hear because we do live in a consumer society. We see it with our clients as well, the struggle of being clear on who they are and what they want versus what's expected of them by society and by their peer groups. It seems to be the A and O of it, or at least trying to find who you are, because it's always a search, it's an odyssey. The Ithaca that we are going towards shifts. It's a different thing when you're 20. It's a different thing when you're 40. It's not one Ithaca, it's many Ithacas on the journey of life. You have to touch base and always renew that. It's like a marker which is moving, it's alive, because we're alive and we're affecting it and affects us. It's not just marriage, job, whatever. It's shifting. What happens with the work is that we can go deep into the work with my clients and solve things just through shifting the perspective on what wealth is and where the value is. Because that's what we want. We want value. We don't want money. Money is just a symbol. We are looking for a rich experience, what the Greeks called eudaimonia. Eudaimonia is happiness, but not like happy, happy. It's a happiness that is based on a balanced life. It's based on having some things in order inside of us and outside of us. Eudaimonia is a very special word. I think that that's what we're really looking for, whatever we're doing behind our money scenarios. Would you share with our listeners, how do you bring eudaimonia into your life? One of the things that I find quite interesting is that I get great pleasure out of decluttering my life. And I'm saying this because I've studied interior design. So I'm very sensitive to aesthetics. I've studied interior design with heritage homes and so on. But I get an immense pleasure when I relieve my closet of clothes, when I make my spaces less than more. I'm also encouraging this in my children. Now, why do I say this? Because the things that are left behind can be better valued, better experienced. They optimize, they go up, suddenly they're magnified. One of the most important things is creating clarity with one's ownership. That affects a lot of things. Many people have great difficulty in doing that. They like to amass things, but decluttering is a great reliever on so many levels. That's one of the things that I do regularly. I ask myself, what is the relationship with what I have? 
behind that question is always who am I and what I want at this moment? Because a dress, for example, that was great 20 years ago, 10 years ago, one year ago may not be the right thing anymore. As you align yourself, you will see that the more you align yourself inwardly, the less things you need and the longer they last with you. I have to ask you, has there been a time where you've gotten rid of something that wasn't suiting you at that moment, but maybe many years later, you have that regret kick in? I just wish I had this thing back in my life. Yes, it's happened. But the cost of keeping with most things which you don't need is a bigger cost. It's a bigger problem. So yes, there is that lost thing that you'll never have again. But the value of keeping all those unnecessary things with the danger of making a mistake is a lot heavier. It really bogs you down. That's what I've understood. And that hasn't happened very often in my life. Because we make cycles with life, that dress that you gave away, 10 years later, you might think, oh, I would have liked to have that dress. But in the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because you achieve so much by letting go. And so I do this regularly with my children too. And I definitely do it with my clients. I have often been called over for them to create clarity with what they own because they're overwhelmed with things. It's okay if we give things further. It's okay if we sell that estate. I'm adamant about fighting something and keeping it. We can also give it away. It's okay. As long as you know who you are and why you're doing it. That's why the question is always, before you go and declutter something, you have to see where you are in your life and what do you want. If you want more freedom and mobility, then obviously this is bogging you down. On the other hand, if you want to connect with your roots, then some things may have a different value for you today than they did 20 years ago. And so it's good to frame them. It's good to keep them. It's good to preserve them and polish them and create a story around those heirlooms, let's say, so that you can give value to that. It really depends on the circumstance. But one of my life positions is that I'm a minimalist, but not in the Zen sense. I could be a total minimalist and have a great castle. And the reason is because I know why I have that castle. No one says you can't have a lot of things, but you need to know why you have them. How do they serve you and how do they serve the world through you? Because you're a custodian, you're not going to take them to your grave. Even though many people actually call me the inheritance muse, I'm actually the muse of death because death is what is my great inspiration. As a Stoic, because I'm also Stoic, I think of death every day. If you think of death every day, it really wakes you up to many facts or illusions that you have. I'm also the muse of sensitizing people to the fact that they're mortal and that they live their life as if they're going to live forever. And they're cluttering things and holding on to things and fighting over things and worrying about things. And in 50 years, they'll be under the earth. I like the fact that most of my clients are in their 40s, 50s. Usually they're in a position of inheriting or about to inherit because at this age, our parents are getting older. Some of them are passing away. And then suddenly two things hit us. First, we're not going to live forever. Our mortality, we have to face that somehow. Through doing that, we become more clear about where we are, who we are, what we want, and what is meaningful for us. It's a window into meaning. 
midlife crisis, people passing away. It's a window into meaning. It's our chance to look into truth and to make our life more meaningful. And that's where eudaimonia is. I'm the great declutterer, as some of my clients say. I also teach this to my children. Regularly, we declutter their rooms. I show them how to do it. It's a regular thing. How do you show them? What are you saying to them? Besides literally taking items out and putting them in a trash bag, how do you show them how to declutter? I ask them if they've used it in the last week, month, or year. That's practical stuff. How do you feel about this? Do you need this? What is your relationship with it? How often do you use this? That's very important because they understand that. Then I say, if we've enjoyed it, we can give it to somebody else. So it's not like we're just taking it away and throwing it. Some of these things are given further. I've also become very strict and I've said to them and they're young, how many pants do you need per year? You need two pairs of pants. If you want more pants, you're going to have to pay for them yourself. This is what I, as a parent, I'm going to provide you with two pairs of pants. If you want a mobile phone, I will pay for a mobile phone, but I'm not going to get you Apple. You will have to pay for that extra. So what I'm showing them is that we need the basics and everything else is superfluous. And we have the right to want something because it's beautiful, because beauty gives us a lot of value. If we want to have that extra thing, we're allowed. Or if we don't want to give it away because we find it beautiful but not useful, that's perfectly fine too. But there needs to be a reason. And if they can't give me the reason, it's going in the bag. So hopefully that will be useful for them. I love what you've brought to life for us, the idea of being clear on who you are, what's most important to you, getting rid of all the other cluttering your life that's not aligned with who you are at this moment and valuing even more what's left behind because those are the things that are really important to you for one reason or another. As we wrap up this conversation, is there another piece of wisdom that hasn't come up in the conversation that you'd like to share with our listeners? Gratitude goes a long way. Wherever we are right now in our life and whatever we own, if we cannot be grateful for what we have right now, and I'm sure all of your listeners do have clear running water, then we can never be happy. We can never reach that eudaimonia. That's very important. I know it sounds sort of a big idea, but it's actually a very practical idea. If we turn around and see what we were given in terms of value, even from the day we were born and throughout our life, if we think of the shirt we are wearing and the buttons on it, those buttons were created by someone originally. We wear the buttons, but someone's idea created those buttons. It was an evolution. If today we are free speaking women, it's because somebody before us had to fight for that. And we're sitting on it like it's been there all the time. If we look back, we are surrounded by givings of others, contributions of others, the sweat, blood, and tears of other people. There is a poet, I don't know if you've heard of Rainer Maria Rilke. He is an Austrian-German poet. And he said, imagine my love as something so wide that however far you walk, you are still always within it. This is exactly what this giving is. We are immersed in the giving of others. If we understand this, and I don't mean only our parents, I mean our ancestors, our culture, and all those thousands and thousands and thousands of generations before us, and we are thankful for this, 
then we have the chance of becoming happy. That's what I mean by gratitude. And of course, our parents have given us so much, no matter what experiences we have, because at the end of the day, it's not what you were given, it's what you do with you were given. If you have been given good things and you do nothing, or if you have been given bad things, but you've changed the world through your insights, that is a lot more valuable. Really valuable tips you've shared. We really appreciate it. We'd like to ask one final question. What's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? I think money conversations are actually in all conversations that we have. Because in all conversations that we have, the issue of value comes up in so many ways. If the next meal that we have with our family, and I say thank you because we received this meal, that's a money conversation. Next time my daughter says, because she asked me to go shopping, the sales are going to be happening on January 3rd. I'm going to speak to her about how much she's going to buy. That's another money conversation. Every day we are having money conversations. They're intertwined with all those other conversations we're having. We're taking positions all the time. So I would say in the next 12 hours, I'm going to have a money conversation with whoever I meet. Well said. Thank you so much for being an incredible guest on Money Tales. It was fantastic to hear about your life stories and your perspectives. You've given a lot to us and our listeners to contemplate and explore in our own lives. Thank you for sharing with me also. It was a pleasure. I look forward to more money conversations. Thank you, Matina. Sandy, tell me, what was your biggest money insight from this conversation with Matina Agio? It was such a great conversation and Matina took us places that we haven't gone with some of our other guests. I appreciated her bringing up the concept of intangible wealth. Because when we think about money, we tend to think about actual physical money, the things that we can buy with it and do with it, how we manage it, earn it and save it and spend it. But Matina was encouraging us to think about the intangible wealth in our lives, the philosophies that we build up, the values, the beliefs, our confidence. I loved that. And it made me think about an exercise we take clients through. We will prepare their financial net worth statement, but a person's worth is beyond those numbers, beyond those dollars. And so we also talk to clients about their social capital, their spiritual capital, their intellectual capital. The intangible wealth that Matina was talking about covers a lot of those areas and was a nice, succinct way to remind all of us that we are worth so much more than whatever our financial balance sheet says. What about you, Cami? Thank you for outlining that so eloquently. There was so much I got out of our conversation with Matina. One was this amazing word, eudaimonia, that she introduced us to. There's the definition around creating clarity around the purpose of items. It's about happiness, but it's more, it's about balance. The idea of decluttering. She uses decluttering as a way to relieve stress. It focuses her on things that she's really passionate about. Back to more tangible things, but I think we can declutter even in the other areas you talked about so that we are free and focused on what's important. She had a question, what is this item for at this moment? And it might've been good for me yesterday, but what's important to me today? Personally, I said to myself, I'm gonna start decluttering. I committed to that because just by her talking about it, I felt a sense of freedom. 
There's a lot of release when you declutter your life, whether it's your physical items or all of your different financial matters. Getting things in order does lead to happiness. So I applaud and support you on that one, Cami. I also appreciated that Matina talked about being the muse of death. I thought that was a very evocative statement that she made about it with a good message, a reminder that we should all be living in the now. We should challenge our perspectives, how we're perceiving something, especially a money matter. Is that reality or do we need a mindset shift in order to change our perception and see the situation for what it is? There's a lot of rich conversation in there. Fun intended. Excellent, Sandy. I'll leave you with another thought that she talked about. It's not what you were given. It's what you do with what you're given. Also very much about living in the now and owning what you want out of life. That's right. There's so many gifts that each of us have been given from parents, from our other ancestors, from the relationships of our life. There's a lot of value in those gifts. We should do more to understand, appreciate, and unpack them. Thank you, Matina Agio, again, for this wonderful Money Tales conversation. And thank you, listeners, for being here with us. As always, you can reach us at podcasts at Asperient.com. We would love to hear your Money Tales. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.